Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Hey, welcome to Activate Christchurch. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh, and along with the team, uh, which now has one less member, uh, we lead here at Christ, uh, at Activate, and uh, I want to say a very big welcome if you're a guest with us this morning. In particular, I want to say a big welcome to Pastor Steve. Uh, let's give him a round of applause this morning. So Pastor Steve, is uh, he pastors a church in our movement, in the Acts movement up in Te Araha, which is sort of about 40 minutes drive out of Hamilton. And he just popped down for the weekend to visit family, and he thought he'd come along and hang out with us, which is so cool to have you here, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us. Got some friends as well, Dave and Lise, that have popped in to say good day as well. Uh, So cool. And if you're a guest with us this morning, if I haven't had a chance to come and say hello to you, and you've been popping along for the last couple of Sundays, then hang around, and I'll certainly try and get around and say good day if I can. So uh, last Sunday, we started a new series on obedience. And I said that this morning we would have Pastor Sheridan Rogers from Activate Hamilton speaking, but as is the reality with COVID, things just change like that. And so I got a call from Sheridan on Monday. He said, oh, I'm locked down. I'm not allowed to leave. And I said, well, when do, we, when do we find out how long this is lasting? He said, they're going to revisit it on Friday. He said, my flights are booked and paid for for Saturday afternoon. So if I can get down, I'll get down. And I was like, all right, we've got this limbo thing where we don't know if the guest speaker's coming or not coming. And, and then, of course, on Thursday, the government said, oh, we're going to wait until Monday before we revisit things. So on Thursday, we got confirmation that he wasn't coming. And so that's all right. That just means that you get to hear my heart for another Sunday, which is cool. So last Sunday, we talked about obedience. And you can remember we broke into groups and we had some big discussion. We talked about 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, which was when Samuel said to King Saul... To obey is better than sacrifice. Okay, so Samuel elevates obedience above sacrifice. And we like to think that sacrifice is like the ultimate expression of love. But Samuel says, no, there's a higher expression than even sacrifice, and that's just obedience. We looked at James chapter 2, verse 26, where James says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And I made the point that in the Bible, whenever the body and the spirit are compared, the spirit is always elevated above the body. The spirit is always like better than the body. It's like you can live by the body or you can live by the spirit. You can live out of the fruits of the body or you can live by the fruits out of the spirit. The spirit's always elevated above the body. And in that comparison, James says that the body is faith, but our deeds, our actions, our obedience is like the spirit. So he's elevating even our actions above faith in a way. And then we had that inconvenient statement that we all kind of mulled over, which was that you can measure your commitment to Christ by your level of obedience. And I think the general feedback was that as uncomfortable as that was, as inconvenient as that was, we all kind of went, I think that might be right. I think that might be truth. I think it might be accurate to say that you can measure my commitment to Christ by my level of obedience. And so last Sunday was all about inconvenience. This Sunday is all about an invitation. And so I want to share with you this morning uh, a dream that I had uh, a number of years ago. And I touched on it about 18 months ago, and I shared it partially, but most of you weren't here 18 months ago. And those of you that were will not remember it, because I know you can't even remember what I said last Sunday, let alone 18 months ago. And there'll be a few people in the room that have heard me share this dream in a different setting. But I want you to just... Just take a moment, take a breath, and just dial into what God wants to do this morning. 
Because I, I, I don't think anything happens by accident. I don't think it's an accident that, uh, you know, Sharon couldn't make it this morning. I don't think it's an accident that I'm up here. I don't think it's an accident that I was saying to God yesterday, what do you want to do tomorrow, God? What do you want to unpack? What do you want to share? And this is what I felt to do. Um, so I'll tell you the dream. It is, without a doubt, the single most intense, vivid, spiritual dream I've ever had in my life. Even to this day, I can remember it like I had it last night. I've had a number of different spiritual dreams. Sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be like, I know that was a spiritual dream. Sometimes I've got to get kind of confirmation from somebody else because it might be spirit, it might be cheese, and I'm not sure which one it is, right? But this one, this one is like, I will go to my grave. You will never convince me that this was anything other than 100% God. It was so, so intense. And so the dream went like this. I... I was in bed sleeping, which is a good place to start if you want to dream. And, and I woke up, although as I think about it, I'm not even sure if I, if I was dreaming in that moment or actually got woken up and was experiencing this for real. I, I, I can't, it was so vivid, it may have even actually happened, but I, I think it was a dream. And, and I woke up and it was the middle of the night and, and Liz was asleep next to me and there was a light in the room and I could feel a weight on my chest and I looked down, and there was an, an invitation, a piece of paper sitting on my chest on top of my bedspread. And so I reached down, and I, I picked it up, and it was an incredible invitation. It was just gold, embossed uh, lettering. The paper was incredibly uh, expensive paper. There was purple like borders all around this invitation, a beautiful calligraphy, beautiful cursive handwriting. It was an extremely expensive invitation. It was, I knew straight away it had come to me from royalty. And on the invitation it said, it had my name on it, and it said, Joshua Van Berkel, you are cordially invited to meet with Jesus Christ. It was an invitation to meet with Jesus. And it said, you're cordially invited to meet with Jesus at 6.46. And I read this invitation, and if you've had a dream, and like, oh, it's so much emotion in the dream. I just had this euphoria, this just excitement, just this like, oh my gosh, I have been chosen to meet with Jesus. I'm gonna meet with Jesus at 6.46. And I was so excited about it. I was so enthusiastic about it. I just couldn't believe that I had been selected for this great honor. And then I had a thought, oh my gosh, what time is it? And I looked across to my left, which was where my bedside clock was, just a cheap warehouse job with you know the red digital letters on it. And I looked across and it said six... 47. And instantly, all of my emotions changed. And I went from being euphoric to being inconsolable. I was devastated. I was absolutely distraught because I knew that somehow, without even meaning to, without even realizing, I had slept through my appointment with Jesus. I'd slept through this encounter that I had been invited to, and so much care and consideration had gone into this invitation, it was clear to me that Jesus really wanted to meet with me, and I'd slept through it. And I was absolutely distraught, and tears just welled up, they started to run down my face, I was looking at this clock, and then the most amazing thing happened. 
the clock ticked over. But instead of ticking from 6.47 over to 6.48, it ticked backwards to 6.46. And I knew in that moment that God had done something amazing, that he was extending to me his mercy and his grace and his love. And he was saying, hey, you missed it, but it's okay. I, I can even turn back time and give you another shot. I love you too much. I care about you too much. I'm too excited about meeting you like this. I'm going to turn back the clock and you can have another shot. And I just had this overwhelming sense of relief. Like I hadn't missed it. Like God had in his grace given me another shot. And, and that was the end of the dream. And then I woke up again, for real this time, or for a second time. And the first thing I did was look at my clock. It was about quarter past three in the morning. I was like, okay, all right. And, and if you've ever woken up from a dream and you've still got all of the emotion from the dream, like maybe you've had a fight with someone, like your wife, and then you wake up and she's in the bed next to you and she's done nothing wrong, but you're still like, Ugh. Is that, is that ever happened? It's never happened to me, right? It's, it's at the point now where I wake up, I have to say to Liz, I had a dream about you last night. You did not behave very well and I'm a little bit annoyed at you. So just give me half an hour to kind of wash this stuff out, and then I'll be able to talk to you, right? Liz often says to me, she's like, why am I so mean to you in my dreams? I was like, well, think about that. <laughs> Liz, Liz has decided it's because she's so nice in real life, I have to make her mean in my dreams just to even, even things up, right? This is what I have to deal with all the time. So I wake up, it's quarter past three, and I've got... There is no way I am going back to sleep. So much going on. So much emotion. Like, what, what was that? Like, did I dream it? Did that really happen? I'm kind of patting around on my duvet. Like, is there invitation there? Like, what is going on? So I lie in bed for about half an hour. This is ridiculous. So I get up and I put on a dressing gown and I go and I sit in the lounge and I put on some worship music and I read my Bible and I'm talking to God who's not saying Jack. And, and I'm like, what? What was that? What was that? 6.46, what is, what's the significance of 6.46, why, why? And it gets to about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, and I have this thought, what if it's just a literal thing, like at 6.46, God's going to just walk into my lounge? Oh, that would be weird. It gets to about 6.40, and I've almost convinced myself that that is not going to happen, that's not what the dream was about. But at 6.40, I realize I'm in my underpants and my dressing gown, and I just thought, I am not appropriately dressed, for God to walk in. What if he comes in a la, you know, Christmas carol and whisks me away to see the ghost of my past and my present and I'm just in my gruds and my dressing gown but I'm not very well prepared for this and then I felt a bit convicted. Like what if I thought the queen was coming? Would I be sitting here in my underpants and my dressing gown if the queen was coming in? No, I wouldn't. I'd be dressed up nicely. So why am I not dressed up nicely for the king of kings? And then by then it was like 6.48 and I missed it. But <laughs> I wasn't too stressed because I didn't think that God was gonna actually walk into my room at 6.46. So when 6.46 rolled around, I was a bit like... <gasps> Ah, it's fine. So I kind of, I got up, I had a shower and I carried on with my morning. I didn't say anything to Liz, but I was really, wow, that was like the most intense dream ever. And I couldn't get it out of my head, like 6.46. It was so significant, 6.46. You know, like on a digital clock, it's like a six and then the two dots, the colon, and then the four and the six, it was 6.46. I thought, wow, and I'm asking God, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? And he's not saying anything. And then I have this thought, I know what I'll do. I'll Google it. 
Because that's what you do when you don't know what something means. You just Google it, right? And I was like, well, what do I, what do I Google? Like, what does 646 mean? Like, what, what do I, so I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll just Google 646. So I put in 6 colon 46, just like it looked on my clock. And I went, what, you know, just hit enter. And Google's so quick, like within half a second, it's like, we found 1.5 million results. And my whole page, just from top to bottom, just filled up with Luke 646, Luke 646, Luke 646. And I went, oh, it's a Bible, it's a Bible reference. I was so fixated on it being a time. I hadn't thought about the Bible reference. And the whole, the whole page, there's like 20 results on that page, every single one, Luke 646, Luke 646. I go, this is it. This has to be it. This is the message that God was trying to get to me. This invitation to experience him, to, to go deep with him, to meet with him, to have an encounter with him, it all revolves around this 646. And so I open up my Bible and I go to Luke 646. And it's Jesus talking, it's in red. He's talking to his disciples, he's talking to the people around him. And he says this, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? Have you ever felt like you've been hit by a ton of bricks? I remember I kicked back in my chair. I was just like, ah, oh, what? In the words of Marty McFly, this is heavy, right? And I read it and I read it and I reread it. And I was like, Okay, I had to go in and process that. But here's, here's what I believe God was saying in that dream. I believe he was saying that there is a depth of relationship that you are invited into, but it is only to be found on the other side of obedience. I think there is an encounter that he has in store for each and every one of us. You can only get to it on the other side of obedience. Right? There is uh, an intimacy with him that can only be found on the other side of obedience. Listen to me, most Christians never find it. Most Christians never build a relationship deep enough. Most Christians never have that encounter that changes their lives because you have to walk through obedience to find it. And we are not prepared to do it. We sleep through it. We are ignorant to it. We're so caught up by the things of this world and the things of our life, we miss the invitation sitting right on our chest. It's sitting right there. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? And it's the start of a story that he tells. And I want to tell the story and just make a couple of points and then we're done. The story that he goes on to tell is about two men. So it starts with that verse. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? He said, let me tell you a story about two men that each build a house. And most of you would have heard the story. He said, if you hear my words and you put my words into practice, you obey my commands, you do what I ask you to do, right? And we talked about this last Sunday. Obedience means, it's, it's actual dictionary definition, is to act according to what you are asked or commanded to do by someone in authority. To act according to what you are asked or commanded to do by someone in authority. And so Jesus says, if you hear my words 
and you act according to what you're asked to do, you obey those words, you're like a man who digs deep into a rock and builds a foundation and then constructs a house around it and then a storm comes and hits the house, but it's fine. That's what you're like. He said, or you're like a guy that hears my words and doesn't put them into practice, doesn't act accordingly, doesn't obey. That's like a guy that builds a house, and he says it like this, with no foundation. And then the storm comes and hits it and wipes it out. And I read that again this week. I was like, that is fairly clear. You've got two guys. They've got some things in common. The first thing they have in common is that they both hear what Jesus has to say. See, we read that. We like to think that that's like a Christian and a non-Christian, a church person and an unchurched person, a religious person and an unreligious person. But it's not. It's two Christians. It's two people sitting in the same church. It's two people experiencing the same message, maybe going to the same life group, maybe reading the same Bible verses. Both these people are hearing the Word of God. They're in a place, they're in a situation where they're hearing what God is saying. One person walks out of the door and puts it into practice in their life and obeys what God's asking them to do. The other person walks out the door and just lives their life and then comes back the next Sunday. And Jesus says it very clearly. One of those guys is digging a foundation deep that will hold their life together when the storms come. The other person literally, in Jesus' words, has no foundation. So one thing these guys have in common is that they're both hearing the word of God. The second thing they have in common is that they both built a house. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but even if you're building a house without a foundation, it still takes a lot of time, still costs a lot of money. There's a significant investment involved. And the parallel that Jesus is drawing is building our lives, right? One guy builds his life, another guy builds his life. Whether you're building a life with a foundation or not, it's still time-consuming. There's still a lot of investment involved. So both these guys build a house, and to you and I, looking from the outside, they look the same. You can't see which house has got the foundation drilled down into the rock and which one's just sitting on top. And then the third thing that they have in common is that both of them are hit by storms. And I think that's something that is worth pointing out, that even the guy who's doing everything right hearing the word of God, putting it into practice, drilling the foundation deep, putting it in the rock, he still gets hit by storms. Sometimes we like to preach that if you're doing everything right, that everything will be okay. Nothing goes wrong in your life as long as you're following the commands of God. But here's a guy who's doing everything right. The same storm still hits him. But the house stays standing. I think that we vastly underestimate how much of a testimony it is to the world to see us hit by storms and stay standing. We don't talk about it a lot. It is vastly underestimated. I am reading uh, a biography of John Wimber at the moment. Who's heard of John Wimber? John Wimber is the founder of the uh, Vineyard Movement. Thousands of churches around the world, has impacted millions of people around the world. He is a really, really significant man in the history of the church. Not just Vineyard, but the church has impacted millions of people. The Toronto outpouring came from a vineyard church. Out of that church, Heidi Baker came and went into Mozambique and did all of her stuff. And we were talking millions of people impacted by this guy called John Wimber. And in the biography, it talks about the fact that he started going to church, didn't really love it, thought it was a bit weird. He's a musician by trade and the music was pretty average. But he got hooked into an Activate group. Said it wasn't called an Activate group, it was called a Life group. 
And when you read the biography, it becomes clear that actually his journey and his conversion and his move from not believing in God to believing in God happened because of his life group. And in particular, it happened because of the guy that was running his life group. It was a guy in his mid-50s called Gunner. That is a cool name. G-U-N-N-E-R, Gunner. And in the biography, because his wife was heavily involved in, uh, as a source for the biography, so she's feeding into it a lot. She says, what, what essentially moved John into the kingdom of God was his just admiration for this man. Because this man had been through things, but was still standing. And John couldn't wrap his head around how this man could have been through what he'd been through and still exude love and compassion. This man, Gunnar, listen to me, when his daughter was around 15, 16, she was murdered by a boy who was raping her. This boy was sentenced to death. But before he was executed, Gunnar led him to Christ. Can you imagine, like, if that were my life, I'd be like, give me the needle, I will inject him myself. While this kid's in prison awaiting his execution, Gunnar's visiting him, he's talking to him about the love of Jesus, the kid that killed and raped his daughter. And it was this man that John Wimber would look at every Monday night and go, how are you, how are you telling me about the love of Jesus when this has happened? This man's son, a couple of years later, got involved in a really bad car accident and was disabled mentally and physically, and so was essentially an invalid. And so when John met this man, Gunnar, he had a daughter that had been raped and murdered and a son that was pretty much full-time care required. And John would sit with them and talk with them and go home and say to his wife, I don't, you know, nothing that this guy is saying makes sense to me, but who he is, I can't get away from. And I'm not saying for a second that any of those things were brought on. I don't believe for a second that any of those things were authored by God. We live in a broken world with broken people that do broken things. And the bottom line is that we still get hit by the storm. So they both heard God's voice. They both built their own life. And they both got hit by the storm. I'll get the band to jump back up. Thank you. But one of them was left standing and one of them was wiped out. And the difference between the one that was left standing and the one that was destroyed was obedience. I said that last Sunday was about the inconvenience of recognizing that actually it's not how often I come to church that God's looking for. It's not how much money I give to church that God's looking for. It's not what I think. It's not what I say. It is what I do that God is looking at. It is the act of obedience. It's an inconvenient thing to look at. I've found it very challenging. I look at my life and go, well, that's, I don't know if I want to define my, define my connection with God by that. But what did Jesus say in chapter 14? He sat down with his disciples and he had essentially a DTR with them, which is like a define the relationship conversation. And not once, not twice, not three times, but four times in that same chapter, Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commands. If you love me, you'll do what I ask. If you love me, you'll obey my teaching. If you don't obey my commands, you don't love me. So Jesus himself said, hey, look, you can't separate love and obedience. 
But I want to just acknowledge that he makes this statement, if you love me, you will obey me. And the question is why? Why would love of God lead to obedience? I think it's because once you recognize that there's an invitation from him to meet with him in a way that you've never met with him before, to go deeper with him than you've ever been before, to experience intimacy with him like you've never experienced before, to encounter him like you've never encountered him before. And that's all on the other side of obedience. If you love him and you see that on the other side, you can't help but walk through what you need to walk through to get to it. It's your love for Jesus that actually motivates you through obedience. Does that make sense? So Jesus says, if you love me and you understand what I have for you on the other side of this, you'll go for it. I just want to lay the challenge down this morning because I do believe that this is something that a lot of Christians miss out on. Like if I were to ask for a show of hands, like who wants to go deeper with Jesus? We'd all say, yeah, I want that. Who wants to have an encounter with God that they talk about for months and years to come? We'd all say, yeah, I want that. Who wants their relationship with God to be exciting and dynamic and adventurous and fun? We'd all say, yeah, I want that. I think you can find all of that stuff on the other side of obedience. And what obedience looks like for you is between you and God. And over the next couple of months as we unpack obedience, we might look at some of the things that I think apply corporately or apply to every one of us. They might even apply to us as a church. How do we as a church act in obedience to what God's asking us to do? What I want to be really clear about this morning might do build my life. <laughs> Change the plan. Um, what I want to be really clear about is that I think God is saying, hey, I want you to invite them into a deeper relationship with me. And I want you to explain that it's on the other side of obedience. I want you to go home this week and I want you to really ask God, hey, what what is the first step of this look like? What we could do right now is I could say, all right, let's, you know, dim the lights down a little bit and if you want to you know, acknowledge that you want more of God and you want to be more intimate with God and then come up the front and make a decision to go after Him with obedience. But if we did that, then everybody would come up the front and then I'd just end up feeling really good about myself because pastors always judge how they spoke based on how many people respond to the altar call. And so often, hey Steve, you're laughing because you know it's true. You do an altar call, two people respond, you go home, I suck. 15 people respond, you're like, yeah, I'm pretty good. 30 people come up, you're like, yes, I'm freaking Jesus, right? So the temptation then is to do like these really broad altar calls that apply to everybody. If, if, you, love to lo- if you love ear, come up the front now. Yes, you know, that's right. If you want more of God, come up the front now and then you're left in there going, well, I have to go up, don't I? Because if I don't go up, then it's like I'm telling everyone I don't want more of God. I've been in those chairs. I know what that's like. So I'm not gonna get you to come up the front, but right now, just where you are, I'm gonna pray for the Holy Spirit to just illuminate some things to us. And we're just gonna spend a couple of minutes in our own space, just asking God, asking the Holy Spirit, are you inviting me into a deeper relationship with you? Does Luke 6.46 apply to my life? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? Father, Right now, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come. We acknowledge that you're already here, Lord, but sometimes we don't have the right language to use. So I'll just use the language that we've got and I'll trust that you know what we mean. But Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come 
and that you would shine a light into each of our lives. Lord, that you would illuminate for each of us the truth. God, we believe that you are inviting us into an intimacy with you that we've never experienced before, that you are inviting us into encounters with you, into encounters with your kingdom. Lord, we believe that you are inviting us to go deep with you. And Father, that's what we want. People aren't sitting here on a Sunday morning because they don't want you. They're here because they want you. We want you, Father. Lord, for every single person here, I pray right now that you would just reveal to them the next step, the one thing that you're asking them to do, to start with. sing build my life as we do I just encourage you to stay in this space of just connection with his spirit if you feel led by him if he says hey look I want you to get out of your seat and go up the front and stand in front of the cross or stand over there or I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to ask for prayer for this specific thing then I want you to act according to what he's asked you to do that's what obedience is It's not to think about it. It's not to tell someone about it later. It's to act according to what he's asked you to do. If he's asked you to just stay in your chair, stay in your chair. If he's asked you to worship, worship. If he's asked you to to not worship, then don't worship. Just do whatever it is that he's asked you to do. Come on, let's sing.